Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for this morning. And God, we just we need an encounter with you today, Lord. Uh, we're not here uh, just to greet each other and be nice. We're here, Lord Jesus, to meet you in person, through each other, God, through the fellowship, uh, through your Holy Spirit. And I pray, Father God, that you would use us this morning, that you would speak through us, God, that you would show us who you are in a new and exciting way. And I give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, in that psalm, you know, we look at, we look, there's two fluids involved. There's oil and there's dew. And the interesting thing about fluids, I don't know, I'm a, I'm a bit of a mechanic. John Riper would appreciate this too. If you get an old rusty piece of metal, if you get an old rusty piece of metal and it's squeaky, you know, an old hinge, you put a bit of oil on it, you know, kind of free it up. It, it works a lot better, right? Everybody would admit to that, right? Now, if you go away and come back the next day, it works even better because oil tends to flow into all the nooks and crannies of our lives, right? Of, of, the, of the hinges life, actually. And, and, and dew is similar. Like the, the, the Scripture's talking about the dew of Hermon that fell on the Mount, Mount uh, Moriah, Moriah, I think, right? Zion. Z- Mount Zion, okay, thank you. <laughs> and uh, this dew fell and it covers everything. Now, if you think about that, why would God choose that type of a symbol to talk about His presence in our life? It's because when we invite Him in, He comes in and He slowly invades every part of our life. Right? And, and, and if, we, if He invites Himself in, if we, if we let Him come in, He will open and go into every single door of our lives. Um, so that verse there, you know, starting it off, it showed me something very s- serious about God is that, that He doesn't just want a small piece of us, He wants every part of us. Now sometimes we're not as excited about that as He is, right? Sometimes He gets into areas of our lives and, and we kind of say, you know, I don't really know if I want to change that. You know, I don't know if I really want to let God come into that part of my life. And that's where the challenge I think Richard was talking about earlier. You know, he said he wanted to come on staff on his terms. You know, he wanted to come on staff part-time. You know, he just, he was willing to give God half his time or whatever it was, but he wasn't quite ready to take that full step and step into the fullness of the Father. You know, the, I'm going to read, uh, read the John verse that we have this morning here. I hope I can find my glasses. Sometimes I bring two pairs of glasses, one to see the congregation and one to see my Bible. But today I figured I'd see you in a blur, so <laughs> I still know you're there. <laughs> okay. When it was evening of the first day of the week, The disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because they feared the Jews. Jesus came, stood among them, and said to them, Peace to you. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his side, so that the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. After saying this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. 
If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you then retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were telling him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, If I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands, and put my finger into the marks of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will never believe. A week later, his disciples were indoors again, and Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace with you. Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. Thomas responded to him, Lord, my Lord and my God. Jesus said, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Earlier when uh, the, the question was on the screen, what does the resurrection mean to you? I, I was going to put up my hand, but then I thought, I'll wait and I'll say it because it's part of my sermon. <laughs> You know, when you look at, at, at my life, okay, I grew up a young man like Michael here, and uh, he's, he's actually way more outgoing than I was. I don't know, you know, like, I know Michael just this much, but I was so shy when I was a teenager, I, I just couldn't talk to people, and, and girls scared me to death, honestly. I, if I got around girls, I was like, yeah, i just hide. And so, you know, I, I, I began, I was really rec- quite reclusive and very introverted, like extremely introverted. So, you know, the person you see today is maybe a little different, right? You know, today I'm not afraid. You know, getting up here today, I'm a little bit, you know, jittery, but honestly, I don't don't have the fear. I'm not afraid. And that that is the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, and, and if you read in this verse, it talks about the disciples where were they when Jesus encountered them the first time? They were hiding in a room with the doors locked for fear of the Jews. And the Jews were their f- people that they knew in the community, right? They were the people they'd grown up with. They were people that, you know, they met in the temple. You know, the early church met in the temple. It's, they didn't adventure out because of fear. They were hiding away in their, in their safe place. And they didn't realize that their safe place actually could go with them. And that to me was a big revelation, was a realization that God is my safe place. He's the one that makes me safe. And, and what is resurrection in that? Resurrection is that safety. Because no matter what happens to me, I know I have eternal life. I have the freedom. I have joy in that, you know. So that's, that's an interesting thing. When you look at the early church, before Jesus really appeared to them and demonstrated His resurrection, these guys had spent three years with Him. You know, they'd watched Him raise Lazarus from the dead. He, they'd watched Him heal people. They'd watched Him move throughout all of Judea. They watched even Thomas. And you know, Thomas is given a bad rap in this verse. But in other verses, Thomas is a very brave and bold young man. 
You know, he said, let's go to Jerusalem and die with him. He was leading the other disciples when Jesus was called up to Judea, actually, not Jerusalem, up to Judea to, to uh, heal, bring Lazarus back from the dead. They were afraid to go. They were all afraid and because everybody was saying, don't go, Jesus, because they're going to kill you. They, they'd already decided to kill Jesus at that point. But Thomas, he wasn't afraid. So was it fear that kept Thomas here? Or was it skepticism? And I don't think it was fear. I think it was skepticism. Now skepticism is one of those things in our society that, that runs really strong. You know, we live in a world that needs proof. Right? That's what they teach kids. You know, in, in school, they need, they need to prove everything. Right? Like I took science. I went through physics and chemistry and, and biology and ended up with an electronics certificate, you know, through... So I, my, my life has been about science. It's about proving how things work. It's about fixing things and making them work. And that's the way that kids are taught. That's the way we're raised in our society right from the, right from the get-go, is that you need to prove what exists before you can trust it. But that's not what Jesus says to us. Jesus says, believe in me and trust me, even though you can't prove me. Now Thomas, interestingly, Thomas decided that he needed proof, didn't he? So he really didn't walk by faith. He was a lot like me. He was a lot like most of us here, that, they, that he wanted some sort of proof that Jesus existed, that he rose from the dead before he'd follow him. Interestingly, with that proof, where did he go? Do we know much? It doesn't say too much in the Bible, but I did a little bit of research. There's a bunch of Christians in Kerala, India that are called the St. Thomas Christians because he made it, likely made it all the way to India. That's 7,000 kilometers walking. That's a long way to go with the Gospel. And I'm sure he didn't just walk all the way quietly, right? You know, he's probably sharing the Gospel all the way, right? So how many people actually were impacted because Jesus decided that he was important enough to go back. Now that gives me hope. Because sometimes I feel alone. You know, sometimes I feel like God has kind of left me. And uh, yeah, I've gone through some struggles of that even not that long ago. Where I felt overwhelmed. And I just went through this phase, you know. Um, where I kind of thought that, that maybe I was wasting my time. Kind of a crazy thought, you know, like we just had 250 kids last year show up at our youth groups. And I was completely overwhelmed. And, and so were the team. The team was overwhelmed too. Like we, were, we didn't know what to do. You know, you'd have teams of 20 kids showing up and you didn't know any of them. And they weren't there to listen to the gospel. <laughs> you know, they were there because they wanted to have fun and they thought that was the place to do it. And their fun wasn't exactly Christian fun, you know. I had to actually call the cops one night because we had a drug dealer show up and, you know, some pretty interesting stuff. But then after I was thinking through all this and I remembered, and this is what gave me hope, I remembered standing outside at St. Andrew's with a hockey stick in my hand going, what am I doing? I don't know any kids. I'm just standing here with a hockey stick. 
and inviting kids to come play with me. I think the first day I had two kids come out and pass a ball around, you know, like, and so I was kind of like, what am I doing, you know? That, like, I just quit my job. I used to make six figures, you know, to come and do this, stand here with a hockey stick, you know? <laughs> but, you know, it wasn't very long. We had 10 kids show up. And then, you know, we, we built another youth group. And a year later, Tessa had a group of about 15 girls that was, she was mentoring. That was my daughter who came down and started with us after, after we got it started. And now, four years later, we had 250 kids come through our doors. I don't know, like, what's going on with that. You know, God just knows what He's doing, but it scares me to death sometimes, honestly. But thank you, Lord, that we can trust Him in that situation, right? We can trust Him when things get too crazy, you know? We can trust Him to lay it on Richard's heart and Danny's heart and Francisco's heart to lay aside, and now Blaine, he's going to come on as an intern and hope eventually come on staff. You know, we've got this team that's forming, these group of people that, are, that see the passion. They see these kids are valuable. And, and each one of them is different. Lots of them come with all sorts of baggage, you know. Some of their parents are just not nice people. They're colorful people. You know, they, you know and they don't always fit in the church, I've noticed. You know, like this has been one of our greatest challenges is trying to get kids to come into the church and be part of the church. But they don't fit in because they're really colorful. You know, like they swear and, you know, they don't always brush their hair and, you know, they don't always wear the nicest clothes. And it's a challenge. I think it's a greater challenge for us as a church, you know, to embrace colorful people. You know, it's a challenge for us, right? Anyway, I want to take us to the next verse, which is in Acts. Now, just before I leave that verse, it was an interesting thing when I was reading it. Jesus breathed on them, breathed the Holy Spirit on them, right? And I thought, it's interesting because it's almost like the Gospel shows us two Pentecosts. You know, the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. But... I, after studying this a bit more, I came to the realization that that's actually a Jesus predicting ahead that the Holy Spirit was going to come because there was no great outpouring of the Spirit in that verse. It was just he spoke about the Holy Spirit coming. He breathed the Holy Spirit upon them to give them their purpose. But it, it wasn't until Pentecost that the Holy Spirit came with power. So in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, we get the, the, the Holy Spirit coming with power. And again, where are the disciples? They're still hiding. They're still up in an upper room by themselves, afraid. And then the Holy Spirit comes, and suddenly this guy Peter, who's just really a fisherman, turns into an incredible evangelist. And I think it says two, some... 2,000 people were added to their number. Some crazy number of people. That's like me, you know, before I was a Christian. Like, I was scared. I didn't want to talk to anybody. But the Holy Spirit stretched me. He made me into something I'm not. He gave me what I needed to do His work. And that's exactly what He did with Peter. And He does it to anybody that's willing. Anybody that's willing to... Take that step of faith. 
Now, I just want to read this little bit in chapter 4. It's chapter, or chapter, yeah, chapter 4. Where was my verse? Oh, maybe I'll find it. Thank you. (laughs) I actually have it in here written. (laughs) Now, the entire group of those who believed were of one heart and one mind. And no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but instead they held everything in common. With great power, the apostles were given testimony to, to, to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And great grace was on all of them, for there was not a needy person among them, because all those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid it at the apostles' feet. This was then distributed to each person as anyone had need. Joseph, a Levite, from Cyprus by birth, the one, the one the apostles called Barnabas, which is also translated son of encouragement, sold a field he owned, brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. And just prior to that, it says, when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. What's going on here? Like, is it, this isn't something we see very normally, right? Would you agree? Like, is everybody here selling their lands and laying them at <laughs> Chelsea's feet? <laughs> I mean, you know, it's a good idea, I think. <laughs> uh, yeah, what's going on here? You know, the Holy Spirit is God's Spirit. Would everybody here agree with me on that? I mean, you know, the Holy Spirit's probably the most controversial figure of the Bible, as far as I'm concerned, of the, of the Godhead. You know, every church has a different opinion of, of His power, of what He's doing today, you know, whether or not He's doing miracles, or whether or not He's, he's laying dormant, or whether He's just living in us and making us nicer people. You know, or whatever. You know, so everybody's got different opinions of who the Holy Spirit is. But in the, none of, nobody can deny what he's doing in this verse. Because in this verse, he's creating heaven on earth. That's what he's doing. He's creating heaven on earth. He's, this is the beginning of the kingdom of God. Right? So what is the kingdom of God? What, what, what is heaven? That's a big question, Right? Heaven is a place where people get along, right? Heaven is a place where no tear of sadness exists. You know? Heaven is a place where everybody's got a, a comfortable belly. You know, it's nobody is starving. You know, and the rich aren't too rich. Because what happens when you get too rich? You get proud, right? And you lose your way. Like I've been there a little bit. So, you know, we can, we, finding this place in the middle, it's heaven. That's the place. It's the place where everybody here, everybody in the church, everybody in God's kingdom is pulling for one another. You know, and, and not only that, we're trusting people, right? We're trusting people with things of great value. You know, the, and, and, and what does it take for that to happen? I don't know, you know, like it's hard, you know, like for me to sell my house and give it away. And, you know, I, 
Maybe somebody here this is speaking to, but right, right now it's not necessarily speaking to me. But, <laughs> but there may be something in your life that you don't need. You know, there may be something, you know, that, that God's blessed you with so that you can bless other people. Right? I, I don't know. You know, you have to examine your life, own life, and everybody's in a different place. Generosity is part of it, but the willingness to speak truth, step out of our comfort zone, not be hiding away in a locked building someplace with the gospel. You know, these are all things that the Holy Spirit does in our lives. He challenges us. He transforms us. Makes us new. Makes us into the image of Jesus. I read this First John verse. If I can find my ver- I'm, I'm getting new glasses. I'm going to be so excited. Then I won't have to take them off and on all the time. 1 John, I think, is a summary of my, of my sermon this morning. I'm just going to read most of the first chapter, but it won't take too long. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, and what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, that life was revealed. And we have seen it and testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. What we have seen and heard, we, have all, we also declare to you, so that you may also have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message that we have heard from Him and declare to you, God is light. There is absolutely no darkness in Him. If we say we have fellowship with Him, and yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and are, practi- and are not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him out to be a liar and His word is not in us. My dear children, I am writing these things that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He Himself the atoning sacrifice of our sins, and not only ours, but for those of the whole world. I love this scripture because it it really shows the heart of God. The heart of God is about healing. The heart of God's character is about life. You know sin, what does sin do to us? I'm almost done here, sorry. What does sin do to us? Sin causes pain, right? If you have, you get this immediate fun out of it, maybe, maybe not at all. But then in the long run, it creates addiction. You know, becoming addicted to sin is the thing that keeps us kind of wrapped up in this world. And it makes us want to have more. And we're constantly searching to fill this vacuum or this hole within us. 
But God sets us free. He sets us free from addiction and He sets us free from sin. He replaces our free will that we lost in the fall. He gives us back the ability to choose. That's a beautiful thing. You know, with these kids that we work with, lots of them have given up their ability to choose. Lots of them are tangled up in Facebook or social media or brokenness. Rick, you were talking about that earlier, you know. And they, and they don't really want to be. Like, I think, you know, when I talk to kids about Facebook, they know that it's hurting them more than it's helping them, you know. However, they're addicted to it. You know, there's this thing called fear of missing out, right? Fear, FOMO, you know, they're just afraid not to see what's going on in the world around them. If we can help kids to realize who the anchor is, their fears are lost and their trust and health is gained and their life is new. You know, that, that's our passion. You know, I know it's your passion too. That, you wouldn't be sitting in these seats if it wasn't your passion. That's all of our passions, you know, to help others to get and to get out of our own struggle with addiction. You know, I think all of us have been bitten. You know, so I'm just going to close this in a prayer. Um, if anybody needs prayer, I'd love to pray with you afterwards. So if you want to, I'll sit up here for a few minutes after the service. So. God, we thank you that you are the true freedom. You are the one who uh, gave us freedom from addiction. You freed us from our own fears and our own selfishness, God. You freed us from a need that we think we have to give us the true need, which is life itself. God, help us to trust each other. Help us to trust you, Lord. Help us to Trust the direction that You've sent us. Lord, I pray that, Father God, You would bless this church and help it, God, just to walk in the passion You've given them. In that same resurrection life that You have given us. Lord, the freedom to overcome everything the world has thrown at us. Lord, we know even in death, we are not defeated because of the life that You gave us. And we thank You that the resurrection gives us hope a hope to move beyond our fears. So we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so as Paul mentioned, he'll be up here for prayer. We also have a team who is up here every Sunday after the service if you would like to spend time in prayer this morning. Otherwise, we hope you'll enjoy a cup of coffee with us in the foyer. And uh, Richard will be standing by the boards until Paul gets there and joins him after the service to answer any questions you might have or any interest you might want to express about Youth for Christ. Uh, the referral to the four verses I gave Paul is just a reminder that we as a church have decided to be shaped by the scriptures over the next few years by following what's called the lectionary, which is a set of readings each Sunday that churches around the world follow together. So seeing what God tells us by what he gives us in those words.
Uh, just a reminder that if you want to send a note of a thanks to be shared at an appreciation dinner tomorrow night for our worship team, all of the different volunteers, not just the ones that are up here today, it is not too late to do that if you do it today. So I hope you'll read about that in your worship folder when you get home today. And we will continue to be sharing stories, snippets of what the impact of the resurrection is for us uh, during our share times over this Easter season as we consider together what the reaches of Jesus' resurrection are for us and the church and the world today. So we hope that you'll come prepared to share yours. I invite you to stand to receive God's parting blessing this morning. This is our Easter parting blessing, so the words will be on the screen if you want to follow along. As Christ burst forth from the tomb, may new life burst forth from us and show itself in acts of love and healing to a hurting world. And may that same Christ who lives forever and is the source of our new life keep your hearts rejoicing and grant you peace this day and always. And we say together, amen. We're going to sing again.